constant device of fear mongering because at this point the business model just like you know our healthcare system is unfortunately profits by keeping us sick the news profits by keeping us in fear and so we we know that the news is depressing everybody knows that and to one degree again we're we're kind of hardwired to look for what's wrong you know what's what am i going to be more evolutionarily uh, on the lookout for just some little story about some details of, oh, you know, your son went to soccer practice today. Great. Or there's a hurricane coming, you know, like, wait, pay attention because your survival's at stake. So, of course, we're designed to be on the lookout for threats. And so, unfortunately, now, though, that fear mongering is is intentionally used by the propagandists behind most of the mainstream media. Welcome to the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, a podcast where we mostly talk about the environment and our health and how they interact with each other, but also some things that you won't hear in the mainstream media. So let's investigate what else is happening, let's hear some alternate views, and let's make up our own minds. Fair Food Forager. Changing the way the world eats by making ethical easy. (laughs) That sounds like a very good idea. Fair Food Forager. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, the podcast brought to you by the Fair Food Forager app, the world's only ethical social media and sustainable food directory. So you can use this food directory when you're on the road to find ethical and sustainable food. Cafes, restaurants, farmers, markets, bulk food stores who are reducing the impact on the planet by reducing waste, food waste, plastic waste, sourcing locally, finding organics, anything like that and you can also share posts recipes food that you're growing your appreciation of nature your bushwalk your beach cleanup anything that helps each other and the planet in this episode 84 i'm talking once again to rob herring you're gonna love this podcast it's a continuation of the last one where we talk a little bit more about looking after our health and the environment by getting out into nature investing and caring a little bit more about where our food comes from and looking at those interactions with nature like sunlight and soil and organic real food rather than processed rubbish that's pretty much made by corporations and we talk a little bit about uh, covid and we talk a little bit about big pharma and that type of corruption but most of this podcast is again about decentralization, putting the power back in communities, supporting local business, growing our own food, protecting our environment, and living a more healthy life. So without further ado, here is Rob Herring. These ideas that people practice for thousands of years it was not some, we weren't just waiting around for the time when modern medicine would show up. It's actually the opposite. We've lost mm. our way. You know, mm. we, we need to return back to that. And you can use those things as tools, just like any of it. It can work in harmony. You know, we're not going to all go and live in the woods and cut ourselves off from the internet and never interact with a screen again even though that's how our bodies evolved. But the idea is, you know, how can we move forward in this new world without completely losing touch with what it means to be a human? 5,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, there was no way that we were afraid of the sun, that we were afraid of every single creepy crawly that we saw out in the in the savannah or in the jungle. I think you said it early on as well that everything is kind of being boxed into one solution, one size fits all. So 
you know, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's stay out of the sun, everything has has been be afraid of these things, whereas diversity is the solution. Same as having two sides. You're either on this side or on that side, but there could be 50 different versions of, of people, probably thousands and thousands of different versions of, of opinion, and, and people are going to sit somewhere on a scale rather than just, no, no, we're opposite each other, and so we need to be arguing. The sun is a, is a really good example. For the last few years, I haven't actually, prior to that film, I did a ride on my own where I rode a bicycle from Thailand to Vietnam and I didn't have any sunscreen and I I didn't get burnt and I was in the sun for like 10 hours a day and I I wonder how much of that is in our mind. I did have a break during the probably the hottest time of the day but I was out in the sunlight for hours and hours at a time the the benefits of exercising and being out outside and riding through you know jungles and the benefits of this of interacting with nature and feeling like we're part of it just far outweigh the fear of everything and i see that in in the garden actually the the trees that you can see out the window here this land is was sand pretty much pure sand if you poured water on it it the water would just run off it like a duck's back. And I just mulched it with about a foot of mulch, left it for maybe a month, and then planted about 70 different local species in it, and it's just did its thing. And now the soil has changed from this grey, dusty sand into this humus just because of all the leaf litter. And I haven't done anything. I haven't sprayed any chemicals. Nature has just taken care of itself. I just, I helped it and then I got out of its way. And and that's the same with our body, I guess, if we could help it and then just not be afraid of things and just get out of its way. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you're, you are the example, you know, of, of why we made the need to grow. And you had asked earlier about it, it, do films like this, you know, make a difference? And what we've found is that the feedback is that people hear stories like what you just shared and they realize that they can do it too. And so we've had people write to us from all over the world. We were really lucky to have screenings of this film in, in virtually every country and I've I've honestly received emails from countries I didn't know existed, where people sent us pictures of, hey, you know, we started a compost pile after watching your film, or you know, people that actually have transformed their whole yard into exactly what you just did, uh, and what what an amazing, inspiring experience that is to to see what's possible because those are the stories that need to be shared the most is, Mm. you know, I, I didn't necessarily have to come in here with the highest tech of all time. I did some pretty simple things and sort of set it into motion. And I, I, to me that that stuff, you know, makes me happier than, than anything because that is hope. Like if you want people to have hope, they need to just see what nature does when it's given an opportunity and and when we remember that we are nature you know unless you came from some other planet you are probably made of everything on this earth you probably evolved in the same ecosystem we just happen to be a species that thinks we're more important than everybody else but the fact is we're actually just one part of of it like every other species including the plants and the microbes and everything so why would we be any different you know when given the opportunity and you take those things away um, but you give it just a little bit of love. And so that's the the power of, of humans is that we have that conscious ability to do it. So in a way, we do have a distinct power that other species generally don't, which is that, yes, we can destroy. But at the same time, you know, we have the option of just leaving things alone. Right. If if when when we leave land alone, it used to be called like, OK, we're going to leave that fallow so that it can actually get a chance to just bounce back. Why? Because 
the birds will come in and the microbes come in and the fungus comes in and animals come in and now they're pooping and fertilizing and, and these systems they basically just reset when when you step away from destroying it but we also can speed up that process like what you did on your property there which is you can give it a little bit of an extra boost in the right direction and suddenly wow it can happen real fast and so humans you know we've got a lot of problems but it's also we're so powerful as creators and uh we can we can rebuild like no matter how bad it gets we can always bring it back uh and and that you know, you don't necessarily have to call it hope. It's just a fact. It, it is basically, you know, just a, a law of nature. It wants to thrive. It wants to keep going. So, hey, kudos to you. And I mean, you're inspiring me. I've I've moved around a little bit, so I'm I'm yet to get a property of my own. But uh, I I look to people like you that really implemented. And I can see, I don't know if people can, people listening will see, but I can see the, you know, the work that you've done there and it's pretty inspiring. Yeah, thank you. This is the second floor. So, and I'm uh, right on the coast. So it's, um, it's pretty harsh conditions as well. The trees get smashed by salt winds and because they're, they're local to the area, they're, they've evolved to be able to withstand that. And you, yep. you could plant something else that you you might like but it, it probably wouldn't do as well in in this in these conditions with all that said probably give nature a helping hand or we can just get out of the way and and let it do its thing and stop bulldozing it and and thinking that we have the solution perhaps if we just watch what it does and we get out of the road nature will actually do what it's been doing for millions of years. But as far as our health is concerned, so over the last few years, we've seen these, you know, crazy restrictions and rules of mask wearing and 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 vaccine, one size fits all vaccine for everyone without any actual knowledge of an individual. So if we want to help chronic illness, would you say so one you can obviously you can grow your own food whatever scale that's at you can get involved with a local community garden or a permaculture set up you could talk to a, a farmer at a farmer's market and and that's a good way to start learning about different food would you suggest just your simple diversity of diet or uh you know things like eating different fermented foods for for gut health but what what can individuals do you can definitely get outside <laughs> and and start engaging with nature there's so many simple things there uh, you mentioned grounding or earthing just touching a tree bathing in nature getting out there whether it's the ocean a park a forest eating diversity what sort of advice would you give people from your experience and your film and, and your own health? I think you touched on it with the concept of that tree that evolved in that area, which is that, you know, nature figured out the solutions long ago. And so the parallel that I would make there is about foods that normally would grow in a certain area. And so you, we look to, if you're living in an area where humans did exist for a long period of time, you know, nowadays we have these variables where people live in a couple different places, they're traveling constantly. But if, if you are staying put in a spot, you really might want to look to the historical uh, agricultural records of what grew really well there, um, what people were eating. Now, for a long time, I think in human history, we could more directly, more simply look at our ancestors' diets because our genetics were a little bit, uh, I guess, simpler before in, in modern world. Now we have such a, a bigger melting pot, which in many ways creates you know diversity of genetics that is really cool and builds resilience. 
And at the same time, there's a bit more complexity because, you know, if my ancestors all grew up on this one spot in Ireland and they all ate this, I would know, oh, wow, they, they really indulged in this type of thing, but they thrived. You know, they had this kind of fat content coming from here. They ate this type of protein. And, you know, that was my genetics and it all was there. But the fact is, most of us have, uh, you know, genetic family trees going in, you know, so many different ways that it's like, okay, well, wait, I, I have ancestors coming from totally different parts of the world. So that I, I find that this, this presents a, a different sort of um, case to crack as a detective now when we're looking at what is going to be most optimized as a diet. But the real fact is, is most people aren't even at that point. You just have to stop eating the processed things that aren't actually food first. And you know, so we're not even really at like the the genetic discoveries of what worked and what didn't for most of us. It's it's really just at, at what point can I reach the ability to not give in to marketing that has consumed our planet and where we have become hypnotized into believing that it's quote normal to eat a certain way now you know everything in in proportion i i like to indulge and have a, a fun life too i'm not gonna eat you know 100 clean at every single meal but i think what what the main thing is is what you don't eat you know we we really want to look it seems to be from a health standpoint, and you know, I'm I'm not a medical doctor, but the evidence seems to point to it's it is less about what you do consume and it's much more about what you don't consume because there's so many things that are just detrimental and are toxic, yes, on one hand, but also just overstimulating, poisoning, and disrupting our, our circadian rhythms and so when we're when we're eating the way that nature intended, we we ultimately want to look to eating seasonally, depending on where you live in the world. Uh, I used to live in a place that didn't really have very many seasons down in sunny Southern California. Now I live in something that's got a pretty long winter, and so to to be optimized in that landscape, it does make sense that it should be probably a pretty different diet than if I was existing in different temperatures. You know, why would I assume that my lifestyle would 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 be able to kind of cut and paste and drop it anywhere? And so I think that's important as many of us navigate the the food choices that we make is to not get so attached to food in that our ego actually is what's getting in the way and the identity of the food choices. So we know that some of our food choices are, are, you know, especially if they were part of our childhood or our culture, they are deeply ingrained in the brain in a point that to where we really will defend certain food choices uh, as being part of who we are. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that unless we identify that maybe it isn't the most optimized choice and we are all bio-individual. And so what works for one person is really never going to work for somebody else. But I do think that if you if you look a little bit more to seasonality, it's hard to do because of the conveniences of modern agriculture. We have access to things like fruits when they're not in season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you can lean more towards those winter crops when you're in winter, uh, you know, there is a reason that those things grow that time of year and that we evolved to eat those and they, they actually, you know, you, you can go through those seasonal changes in your own body throughout the year. And I think that that's, that's an important piece when we talk about looking to nature is not just, you know, spending time outside or, or the light or the water or the air, but also the seasons and the rhythms. You know, we have these circadian rhythms that have to do with the 24 hour cycle, but there's also a, an annual rhythm. And there, I think there's a not, I don't see people talking about as much of the science on that. And I'm, I'm not sure if enough research has been done, 
But depending on where we are, those rhythms are going to really dictate how we're supposed to interact with nature and with our own body. And sometimes that that actually does mean more rest. Sometimes that that does mean more activity. So when it comes to food, you know, most cultures that thrived had some sort of fermented uh, food product, to your point, which is that that biological diversity through the microbes is a critical component to our diet. And so uh, it so much of what we're learning now about the gut is changing the whole picture on, wow, this this diversity of this bacteria or this balance or this uh, deficiency of this bacteria, we're actually correlating to almost every condition now. I mean, we're, we're able to correlate mental wellness issues to certain lack or abundance of bacteria that can actually be changed. You know, there are studies in mice where they're you take the the bacteria from an aggressive mouse and put it in a docile mouse, <clears throat> docile mouse, and in days it, it it's it's expressing the behavior of the other uh, animal just because of the the microbiome transplant, and vice versa. You can do the opposite. They we have mice that are given the microbiome of an obese mouse and you don't change the diet, the caloric intake, and they become obese. So there's there's a little bit more going on than just you know eat less, exercise more. And the microbiome is, is a whole level of complexity that I think is gonna be the, the future of medicine because we're also correlating things like degenerative diseases with certain uh, bacteria in the gut. And a lot of that starts early it's not that it can't be fixed later, but you can set it into a protective, uh, you could set it into motion and keep it more protective at a young age with some choices. And we're finding out more and more about the exposure. And so this is how this kind of overlaps with getting our hands on the soil, getting outside, breathing different biomes, and we're actually interacting with that forest or we're over here on this mountain we're actually getting some of that bacteria because we don't want to live in a sterilized world mm -hmm. and all of the things that we were taught were quote clean or cleanliness or hygiene it can be taken too far and so there are times when those can be life-saving if you know you're in the middle of a surgery of course but there are other times when you know mostly we don't want to exist in a sterilized world because it's not nature and so we're seeing that, you know, the, the children that are raised on the farm, wait a minute, they have less allergies, they have uh, less chronic disease as they age, they have less behavioral problems, they have less ADHD, they have uh, stronger immune systems overall. What, you know, what's going on there? So there's more to it than just the food in the food out there's there's it, it really is i think our our interaction with nature so if you can eat local you you know you're you're trickling out the solutions into your local economy um, you're actually voting with your dollar to tell those local farmers that you want to support that system happening pretty close to you which is building more resilience in your area uh, from an emergency preparedness point of view, but also you're hopefully able to then interact with that farmer and ask them, you know, what kind of strategies are you doing on the farm? Are you doing regenerative? And it's not that if they're not doing regenerative agriculture or they're not organic that you say, kick them to the curb, goodbye, get out of here. It's, hey, have you heard of that? You know, uh, yeah. have you ever thought about integrating some of those practices or are you aware of you know, some of the downsides that come with exposing your your farm or yourself to some of these chemicals? I just want to make sure that you're looking out for yourself. And I think if we can have those those conversations, they can't actually happen unless we have that connection. And so, mm -hmm. connecting with the local farmers, um, always asking them what kind of farming they're doing, and not about shaming them if they're not there because that that doesn't get us anywhere. So. 
I don't know if that answered the question because really we just need to eat food and hopefully food that's grown as close to you as possible. Mm. And so it's not just that regional area um, or the regional concept that, hey, this food grows in this part of the world, so that's going to be good for me. But it does come back to that freshness perspective because while the minerals and vitamins and fiber might be on the shelf, those antioxidant components and that life force is not necessarily on the shelf if that food has been shipped from you know china and took a week to get here but when you can eat it within a couple days of being picked you know some of those fresh fruits or greens now you're getting that that photonic energy you're actually getting the the life or the light energy back into your body and i do think that that is that is going to be a missing component for a lot of people's diets, unfortunately, because anything that comes in a box has none of that, right? Mm -hmm. Anything processed is zero. So if it's in a bag or a box, you know, you can get some vitamins and minerals. Absolutely. But in terms of its true invigorating, healing, energetic potential, it's just not there. And again, when we say energy, this isn't a hippy dippy concept. We're talking about measurable biophotonic activity in the plant. And when you eat that food, everything's different. You know, when you eat food that's fresh, when you eat a fresh made salad from a farm, you generally are not hungry again at dinner time if you had that salad for lunch because mm. you, you're, you're just, you're nourished. And at this point, we all realize that the foods that are in the box leave us wanting more one because they designed it that way with you know excitotoxins and and flavors that that are really brilliant marketing um and and food you know chemistry to make us want to buy more and you know pay them more and more money and keep getting more and more product right the, the more addictive stuff and so much of that is still legally allowed it's absurd but then there's this other element which is that we're not getting our storage met so your body's saying, hey, like, you know, this is depleted. I need, like, my reserves are empty. Where's my vitamin A? Where's my, you know, calcium? Where's my magnesium? And we're going out and we're eating. And then at the end of it, it's, like, still kind of not there. You know, wait a minute. So now I'm still hungry or mm -hmm. I'm going to be overeating. So there's, there's I think, uh, a big a big power in eating nutrient dense food where you start to realize that the cravings and uh, the, you're, uh, you're battling with, with, with addiction and addictive foods starts to go down when you increase the nutrient density. So me and my fiance did a sugar-free month <clears throat> in January, no bread, no alcohol, no sugar of any kind. And those first couple of days, you know, we're not junk food eaters. You know, we're not even like candy bar eating people. But those first couple of days were just a little bit like, oof, I just need a, you know, a little bit more of something. But then by day four, uh, suddenly that stuff goes away. And so our taste buds can change pretty quick. And also what was happening was we were only eating real food suddenly. We weren't eating even at restaurants that was maybe freshly prepared, but probably made with some other sort of inflammatory seed oils and other maybe ingredients and preservatives potentially, we're eating foods with actual ingredients, whole foods that we're making at home. And now that nutrient density is actually getting into our bodies. And before you know it, I was eating so much less than I normally do and satisfied and then not having any craving later at night where I normally would and thinking, wow, you know, this, this nourishment thing is, is real and it's hard, you know, it's hard in the modern day to do it. So mm. it's, you can't really blame anybody when the whole system is stacked against you to eat the worst foods and, and they're convenient. And I think that that's the, the big stage is to actually teach people cooking because if you want people to be healthier and eat better, 
one of the biggest missing pieces of that conversation is empowering people and demystifying the process of preparing foods and you know encouraging them giving them that confidence back that you can do it and it's not that hard because if you if you can't really prepare foods at home feel good about it make the time for it realize the value in it it's going to be pretty hard you know some of us maybe can afford to go out to the organic restaurant and just have them make it fresh every time but the fact is it, that's not going to work for most people. You, you have mm -hmm. to prepare food at home. So you have to cook. And if you cook, you're just going to eat healthier uh, almost all the time, unless it's, you know, mac and cheese out of a box. But if you actually prepare a real meal, just that, I mean, you're leaps and bounds above most people. So mm. cooking, I guess. Yeah. It's like if we can make that connection stronger for people, I think, uh, that that's heading in the right direction. Guess if you eat fast food, if you're eating McDonald's and things, it might keep you alive. But then there's a difference between being alive and actually having a quality of life. And those conversations, which you, you almost never hear, are those things like you were saying about evolving with, say, a local food and having, because I, I was thinking when you were saying that, you could have during that time of the year, say it's winter, maybe there's a uh, a reduction in, say, zinc. I'm just making this up because of the you're getting less sunlight because it's the days are shorter and it's cold. But then perhaps the plant has an increase in some substance that you need because you're lacking if you've evolved with that plant. We We don't hear those conversations the freshness and the the substance that drains out of the plant the moment it's picked. And we're not getting that either unless you're picking it straight from the garden and eating it. So obviously the diversity and the and the local food and the organics and, and not being sprayed with glyphosate, but then there's these other little intricate things that may just be adding so much to the quality of our life and we're not having enough of those conversations. Yeah, I think there, there's always nuance to it because for some people growing fresh food <clears throat> in a hydroponic system has certain benefits when it comes to the antioxidants of the food, but it also will have other detriments by not being grown in living soil. And sometimes you will just say, no, that doesn't work, or this is not the solution. But for many cultures around the world, if they had the ability to have an abundance of fresh food that is grown right there or even in cities you know well it's like what's the what's the the pros and cons here because if you could grow food fresh in a city where they're not going to have you know soil big acres and acres of, of farmland um in some situations <clears throat> that provides a solution but it's not the, the solution for everybody. And so I think we see these debates <clears throat> happening back and forth of, well, this is, you know, just going to exploit, exploit, exploit nature, or this use of technology is moving us further from nature. But I do think there's a place, there's a time and a place for each thing. Mm. And so it, it's it's just the uh, the nuance and the spectrum of it. And it's, similar to when it comes to health and, and these and the decisions that are being made is these are tools and so from a permaculture perspective for anybody familiar with that it's really about observing and then arriving at the solution based on those observations <clears throat> of what the landscape tells you and really holistic medicine if you're working with a good integrative or functional doctor is this permaculturist permaculturalist of the human body, which is, you know, the, the best permaculture teachers that, that I listen to is do not impose a solution. It's, permaculture is not just, you know, doing this type of design. It's about looking at the landscape and taking the time to look at 
what are the, what are the needs and, and what are the resources that it has and how do you use that to help energy flow and to create more opportunity and spaces for nature to come back and similarly when it comes to human health i i, I see the same thing it's like we have this addiction to the simplicity of one solution and so we want to impose it you know this is the thing that works here you go like shut up just do it and nature's never going to work that way and and our bodies are nature you know we're we're different forests this forest ecosystem has this going on that forest ecosystem has that just because they're both forests doesn't mean that the same plants should grow there as grow in the other one doesn't mean the same species of animals are going to are going to be thriving in there as the other forest mm-hmm. and similarly we we really just have to see that in in each other and celebrate that diversity <clears throat> so you know there there are a lot of parallels there and it it ultimately brings me back to this just idea of respecting the the discussion and the intellectual opportunity to have debate and to be open minded to you know the permaculture designer who arrives at the space that is uh, addicted to doing hugel culture because they they know how to do it so well and it makes them feel good but that may not be the right the right solution for that that landscape mm. and similarly i think we just we need to to realize that unfortunately it is a lot messier and more complex than many of us want it to be now we have to respect the the diversity in decision making and when we say that we embrace diversity a big piece of that is diversity of thought and so we have to have kind of these open tent approaches to welcome people in and we try to do that with our film to not isolate anybody who identifies as a certain thing or another and uh, more recently i've been working on this news company to to hopefully instill or 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 help shepherd in that that philosophy more in the concept of news and so the the company that i have is is more american focused but we created something called tip news to take out a lot of the bias because similarly we're seeing you know every mainstream news platform is really going in one way or another and it's just divisive and it's about othering the people that disagree and vilifying and there's no way for our culture to heal under those circumstances when everything being told to you is confirming your bias and confirming that you should vilify the others and so how are we going to grow as a society it's it's really going to be i think by reducing those inputs that are constantly telling us our way is the right way and everybody else is wrong and even if we disagree but still finding ways to say oh interesting like let's let's give that the respect or the time that it deserves if i'm going to disagree with it then i need to hear their side and so we created tip news to try to deliver people the news in a really easy fast way so they don't have to deal with all the constant divisive and fear mongering because at this point the business model just like you know our healthcare system is unfortunately profits by keeping us sick the news profits by keeping us in fear and so we we know that you know the news is depressing everybody knows that and to one degree again we're we're kind of hardwired to look for what's wrong you know what's what am i going to be more evolutionarily uh on the lookout for just some little story about some details of oh you know your son went to soccer practice today great or there's a hurricane coming you know like wait pay attention because your survival's at stake so of course we're designed to be on the lookout for threats and so unfortunately now though that fear mongering is is intentionally used by the propagandists behind most of the mainstream media and they've created a paradigm where they almost can't get out of it now because they have to make things more and more sensationalized and clickbaity and divisive just to get people to engage with their content 
and their whole business model relies on the ads that are coming from those corporate interests. So I think we're going to see big shifts in terms of citizen journalism coming up to take the place. You know, other companies like what we're doing with Tip News and having more of a diversity that is not about the centralized media. Because right now, 90% of what people read, hear, or listen to is owned by six companies. And that's mm-hmm. about 15 billionaires that, that own those. So this is, this is the same lessons from nature about, you know, the centralization of power is the same thing as the monocropped uh, farm that is really lacking resilience because it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. And when you try to impose that on a system, eventually it's either more likely to be corruptible because the power is too centralized or it's more likely to collapse because it doesn't have the backup plans. You know, nature always designed things with redundancy and resilience in natural ecosystems. And I think we need to just apply those skill sets to everything. And for me, that was what was always fascinating about permaculture when done right, is it's not just about gardening and landscape, but you can apply the permaculture principles to everything from human relationships or business structures or creating a a school system is how do we look to nature as the, the teacher Mm. and say what works in those natural systems. And then how do we apply that to energy flows within any system? And, you know, this is why like the, the news thing may seem totally different to the average person. We, you're doing soil movie and then news, but it's, but really to me, it's the same thing, which is, we have to encourage uh, a harmonious, you know, diversity without this this divisive fear mongering. So, um, if anybody is a you know a U.S. reader, you can check out Tip News. And I've found myself following a hundred percent independent journalists in the last couple of years because of everything that's happened and journalists that have their their funding comes from their own little website or a Patreon page rather than corporate sponsorship of the people that they're supposed to be holding accountable. I've had guests on recently uh, talking about things like the climate goals of the of the UN and uh, you know these this top-down approach for what we should all be doing based on their ideas that are solutions, which generally seem to be mechanisms of making them more money and giving them more power, whereas, as we've been discussing, it's more this bottom-up approach. And and that, I guess that's something that I'm also passionate about, alerting people to, that the, the, the centralised uh, energy solutions that they come up with or the centralized food ownership and monoculture food farming or even scarily the ownership of nature by corporations Mm -hmm. is something that I think we all need to be a little bit wary of. And uh, people have different opinions on on climate change and, and that's fine, but I think we all can agree that we've humans have had a massive impact on the planet and its ecosystems and wherever however you think that's happened we can all do something about it in our in our local environments at least yeah we all want to reduce pollution and we all Mm. want clean air clean water and clean food and that's that's the commonality and we have to start there and I, i i've said before that the illusion is of this one side versus another and in politics it's really seen as left versus right and the more that we focus on that the more distracted we get from the real power struggle which is centralization versus decentralization Mm -hmm. you know if there is a a uh scale here it's not the horizontal one going from one side to the other the political spectrum Mm. It's 
it's those of us who don't want the world to be centralized into the hands of the few. And then those at the top who benefit by, you know, patenting everything and owning it all. Mm. And any time that we start to see centralization, whether it is in our healthcare system, whether it's in our food system, whether it's in the financial systems, in any system, to me, that's the red flag because that's not how nature does it. And so if we centralize, we're, we're just, we're, we're ready to be, we're ready to, to hand over the, the whole thing. And that's, that's a risk that none of us should be willing to take. And I think probably in human nature, as some of them get to that point, they start to become more susceptible to greed. As you start to work your way up and become a billionaire, it's like, what's left? Okay, well becomes probably yeah into a little bit of a god complex of mm. i should i should be controlling this now and i should be owning that and maybe i can meddle over here and get a bunch of people to do this or i can actually influence a whole country to start to do this or millions of people will will do what will make me more and more powerful and more rich and in every way we have to <laughs> resist this and so anytime that we see centralization and coming in as quote the solution, you know, keep your keep your eyes wide open because that's not the solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's empowering more local systems. And it's a great thing that people can do anytime that they're starting to feel disempowered, is to say, okay, what can I do, you know, this month to to buy the more uh, decentralized version of what I normally give my money to. And that may be the deodorant that I buy from the big company. And you know what? I can actually get a small company, a small family-owned thing. And that could be the food from the local farmer. But that can also be uh, the, the media that you consume. I could go see the Marvel movie, and I'm a huge fan of that. But you can also go and support the independent artist you know it, it it's on every scale we can look for that and so it's it's not that i'm necessarily against the benefits of someone making money and becoming bigger but anytime that it becomes so powerful that it is too big to fail like we've seen with auto companies or banks then we have a problem because you're disrupting the natural flow of the system where, for instance, um, if these pharmaceutical companies had been held accountable for the crimes that they've perpetuated over the years, and not theoretical stuff, stuff that is in court documented, they were, you know, found guilty of certain types of fraud. If they were held accountable to any actual reasonable standard in a world where people go to jail for the smallest, you know, crimes, but the the biggest perpetuators of uh, destroying our world and our health and can be responsible for literally millions of people's deaths, not hypothetically, then they don't go to jail. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) So had they been, I'm just thinking, you know, in an alternate reality, had they been held accountable where the fines for their crimes were not less than the money that they made by committing them, right? We have companies that sell their product for 50 years. Uh, Zantac is getting under heat right now. It's a company called Glaxo that is, or it's changed its name now, but they, you know, they found this carcinogen in the product. Turns out, big surprise, you know, they knew about it for 50 years and people have been taking it, some of them for decades. And so there's a lawsuit right now in the U.S., 70,000 people who took it are actually suing that company. But this, you know, the reason why I say big surprise very cynically is because it happened. It's business as usual. Mm -hmm. This is what they do. This is their playbook because they made so much money that even if they get to the point where they're sued and have to settle, that 10 million, 20 million, 100 million or billion dollars is still they've net profited by committing the crimes because they made more than that. Mm. And so that's that is sickening to me because <clears throat> if you think if you think about 
you know, the metaphor that I used to make was if someone got caught stealing a hundred dollars and the crime was okay, you owe, you owe a fine of $50. It's like, wait a minute. So I just got caught stealing a hundred. I, I only have oh, interested. So then the next opportunity, like that's the only thing that's going to happen to me. I just have to pay $50. <laughs> so when I have the next chance to steal a hundred again, I know I'm only going to have to pay 50. This is literally what's happening when it comes to these big corporations, because they've hijacked the system so expertly that they're not held accountable in any meaningful way. And so they profit off of off of these crimes, even when they're caught. And most of the time they don't get caught. They're not held accountable at all. Now, if they had been. What you would have is the next company rising up that would be more ethical. You would have the opportunity for a smaller startup, you know, the, the next biotech company that maybe realizes, oh, we can't just commit crimes against humanity and get away with it. Mm -hmm. So we probably shouldn't do that because an example has been set. So then you have the system keeping itself in check and maybe you would have more ethical companies rising to the top. But instead, what we have is the example is shown that you can get away with it. And in fact, those small startups that try to be a competitor in any way just get bought out. So most of them, that is their business model. They start a, a biotech company because, hey, if we just get one breakthrough, Bayer's going to buy us. Pfizer's going to buy us. Somebody buys us out. We all exit. We're all rich. We just crushed it. We win the game. But unfortunately, now nobody is competing with them. And so this is that whole idea of centralization is you're not allowing the healthy competition in nature to happen. And it's not that nature is entirely competitive. It's it's cooperative. Right. And in those systems of, of natural systems, again, as the guidebook, that's what would happen is something that was disrupting the ecosystem would be kept in check. It, it happens any time. You know, otherwise that system collapses because it got so bad. That's kind of the fail safe is, well, that system's going to totally collapse and have to start over because something went out of control. And we just we don't have those uh, checks and balances right now. So. This is this is, I guess, what I'm getting at that point is you really got to just support small businesses any chance you get. So if you can buy your your food, even if it's processed food, buy the buy the off brand. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to endorse um, you know eating junk food, but if you were somebody that really needed to, maybe don't support Hershey's, Mars, Kellogg, Kraft, whatever. You know, try to buy a a, a more local version of the the cookies or the chips or or, or some smaller company because the chances of its corruptibility are lower and the chances of it being held accountable are lower and you're not going to be feeding the system of centralization. If you can, if there are any small super local supermarkets left, go past the big one and, uh, and go and support the little one. And you might pay a little bit more, but it's, it's going to pay off in the long run because all those big businesses are doing in almost every case is just, lowering their their price until they can put the small business out of business and then they put it back up again so so you're yep. just protecting the price by supporting the small person yeah i think that was amazon's entire business model there's a few examples that are quite mm. eerie of how they intentionally dropped the costs of of certain products that they know they were going to take a huge loss on, mm. but they knew by doing that, they put the other people out of business. Yeah. Mm. So that's a great point. We could talk forever. Now we've started information about big pharma and COVID, but of course we were only probably going to talk for about an hour and we've talked for nearly two hours and I'm eternally grateful for this amazing conversation I almost feel like I've been talking to myself for two hours. So 
amazing conversation and so much gold in this. You're probably looking at going and having some uh, organic vegetables for, for dinner very soon. Where can or when is your next film coming out and what are the best ways for people to follow your work and and uh, subscribe to your newsletter or what's the best thing people can do now? Yeah, so earthconsciouslife.org, which sometimes can be hard to spell, conscious mm-hmm. in the middle there, <laughs> is where uh, m- most everything is is kind of under that home. But otherwise, you go to the com. If you haven't seen the film, I think you'll enjoy it. It's it's a hero's journey, as I said. It's a little bit more uh, interesting than just what you may expect from a soil film. And the next film, Pharmacy of Light, we don't have a date on yet, but it will be starting film festivals this year, 2023. And then we'll work on where that gets distributed after. And then tip.news is the news company that I was referring to. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more geared to the U.S. audience, but it, it is a lot of global information as well. So if, if uh, no matter where you are, you might want to check it out. It's totally free and you can unsubscribe if it doesn't feel like a fit. Mm. But uh, yeah, those are the, the main places you can find me. It's probably one of the most important things people can do instantly, apart from investing in the, the food that they eat, is to turn off the mainstream news and start getting some diversity in the information that you're feeding yourself because there is such a uh, they are just directing you where they want you to be and if your news is diverse then you can get a variety of opinions and make up your own mind and that's really what we all need to do totally agree thanks so much paul for your time and the work that you're doing and uh look forward to collaborating a little bit more on the on the food foraging work and we'll talk soon Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Rob. You're a legend. Thank you. Thanks, Bert. an end to episode 84 with rob herring wow what an absolute legend there's i pretty much agree with absolutely everything he has to say we can look after our health and we can look after nature we just have to concentrate on our local communities and our local diversity and as rob said when you hear centralization when you hear governments and big corporations and billionaires talking about creating more centralization and a few people having more control rather than millions or billions of us around the world having that control that's a red flag so as i said that's the probably the most important thing you can learn from this podcast and if you want to hear more about what rob is up to you can look him up on the need to grow which is his film and go and see it or organize a screening and you can check out his website earthconsciouslife.org and you can find him on uh, social media as the rob herring thanks again don't forget to download the fair food forager app it's also here to help you find ethical and sustainable food and food that is organic local supporting small businesses, reduced plastic packaging, anything really to help support you and the planet. And you can share good news stories, learn from each other, and just feel good for a change about the future and what we can do to help each other and the planet. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review it, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. Thanks again to Ash Grunwald. This song is River from the album Now. Until next time, bye.